Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Baker Eddy Library in Boston and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm Jonathan Eder, your host. In this episode, we're going to discuss the history of communion in Christian Science Church services and what our collections at the library reveal about that history. It's a unique story with resonance to the practice and purpose of communion within the greater Christian tradition. To begin with, we are going to listen to a few sound bites from contemporary Christian scientists on the subject of communion and communion services, and then we'll welcome in our guests to delve into the subject. One thing I have to remind myself of for the communion service is that it depends on which church service I'm attending on the second Sunday in January and July. These Sundays coincide with the lesson subject of sacrament. So I have to ask myself, am I at the mother church or at my branch church? I have the opportunity to attend either, and the two services are very different. According to the manual of the mother church, communion services are held in branch churches only. At the communion service in my branch church, the last hymn we sing is the doxology, and singing the doxology is a favorite of mine. Communion Sunday is really a joyous church service. The reading of our church tenets brings a sense of spiritual grounding. Our tenets are a great summary of what makes Christian scientists unique. I love hearing the sixth tenet, a promise that we have the mind of Christ. Growing up in Christian science or attending Christian science services, but also having a large Irish Catholic family and attending the Catholic masses and having this conception of really the more uh, ritualistic uh, interpretation of communion and what that means. As I've gotten older and delved more into the concepts behind the communion services, I've grown to appreciate how the same concepts that are being tackled through the more physical representation of a communion are being tackled in our uh, understanding of communion in Christian science. We are trying to understand and, and partake of that manna from Christ's table, and we're all trying to drink from, from Christ's cup. The lesson sermon normally for communion services are all about that sense of purification and God washing you clean and forgiveness. And, and of course, so much of it is on the life of Christ Jesus. And you think about all the challenges he had to overcome. And even in his darkest moments, how God was with him. And of course, God is present here with me too. And not just in my life, but as you're there in a communion service with your church, you're thinking about all of us coming together. My very first exposure to the idea of communal ritual came from other than Christian science. And uh, when I was a child, I didn't really understand what it was all about. And when I got older and actually got into Christian science, then it helped me understand that there was a real spiritual significance to what was done, and it was not done with physical substances, like having grape juice or wine or the little wafers and so forth in Christian science. They like to look at it from a more spiritual point of view and that those elements are already a part of us. 
So those voices are not meant to be completely representative of Christian scientists today and their thoughts on communion, but they do give us a little bit of a sense of the experience and some interesting details. For example, that communion for branch churches of Christian science and how those are provided for is very different from what happens at the Mother Church in Boston. So to help us understand this and other aspects of the history of communion in Christian science services, I'm so happy to welcome into our conversation Tom Cleaver and Mike Hamilton. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Jonathan. It's great to have you. Tom is a researcher at the Mary Baker D. Library, and the library recently published an article of his on this very topic titled Christian Science Communion Services as part of its From the Collection series on the library's website. And also, welcome, Mike. Nice to be here, Jonathan. Mike is a little bit familiar with us here in the studio. For Seekers and Scholars, we've had the pleasure of him as a guest before, but Mike is executive manager of the Mary Baker D. Library. And importantly, for this episode, Mike received a Master's of Divinity in Biblical Studies and Church History from the Boston University School of Theology. And Mike also has a Master's in Theology and Christian and Social Ethics from Princeton Theological Seminary. So, Mike, you have some background with how other Christian faiths think about and approach the experience of communion. That's right. I've certainly been the beneficiary of learning from others how they see things, and it's deepened my understanding of communion in Christian science, for sure. Well, that's great. Well, it, it's wonderful to have both of you with us. But to get into this, Tom, I'm so interested with those uh, voices in mind that we heard at the top. What do you pull from that, from your research? You know, what stands out to you about what's different, perhaps, for a contemporary Christian Zionist in terms of how they experience and think about Communion Sundays, those two Sundays a year, versus what was going on for Christian Zionists in those early years? An interesting comparison note, um, in early Christian science, when they had these in the Mother Church before the disestablishment of the communion in the Mother Church, was that they were experiencing thousands of visitors mm -hmm. um, for each communion service. And it was a lot more of a um, spectacle, if you will, so where you had packed crowds, a chance to see the introduction of new members, hundreds of members at once in the Mother Church, and seeing them rise and be introduced. Well, Tom, that is a comparison of note. I would definitely agree with that. So, as you're saying, in the early history of the Christian Science Church, communion services took place at the Mother Church. And not only did they take place at the Mother Church, they were events of some distinction. And then they were eliminated from the church service calendar for the Mother Church. But communion services continued as part of the church calendar for branch churches of Christian science in the United States and beyond. It strikes me that this was quite a notable decision that was made to, in your words, sort of disestablish to end communion services at the Mother Church. What have you learned from looking at our collections about how this decision was made and executed? Yes, with Mary Baker Eddy, it was interesting seeing how she chose to communicate with those around her, especially around this time. Immediately following Communion Sunday, she started sending letters both to members of her household as well as um, eventually to Alfred Farlow to publish in the Christian Science Sentinel. Farlow held an important position in the administration of the church. 
she spoke about relinquishing the material form of the communion advances its spirituality. What was the year for that, Tom, the, the correspondence you're talking about? Uh, 1908. So this was immediately following the um, final abolishment of the communion service in the Mother Church. Right, right. Actually, weren't the letters what prepared people to abolish the communion service? She already decided at that point there that was it was going to be. right before um, mm-hmm. the official abolishment, but some are preparing for them, and this one that I just quoted is from directly afterwards. Afterwards. Interesting, mm-hmm. interesting. So they'd had that order of service in the Mother Church for some time before it was changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is correct. Tom, is it true that the order of service we have now for communion services in branch churches is pretty much like what the order of service was in the mother church and branch churches early on as well? Yeah, it's pretty close to what was early presented. Besides the exclusion of that introduction of new members, this is pretty spot on to what was initially brought up. So we got a little bit of a sense from our opening voices about what is experienced in a communion service at a branch church of Christian science. But just to outline, what are those key factors that distinguish a communion service in a branch church? The tenets, the invitation and the kneeling, joining in silent communion, and then the singing of doxology are the things that really distinguish that day. And again, that is different from mm-hmm. what happens at the, at the Mother Church. So for that speaker at the top, she would want to be in a branch church if the doxology is something <laughs> she wants to sing on. Uh, although, it, you know, it could be included, I, I suppose, in the I lineup of I think sometimes they include it at right, the Mother Church, right. too. So, Mike and, and Tom, how would you respond to the thought, my, my gosh, he abolished the communion service at the Mother Church. Does that mean that she didn't feel communion was all that significant? for the Mother Church. I think it probably has a lot to do with the letter that Tom just quoted, that abolishing the communion season, for one thing, Mrs. Eddy said, this doesn't prevent Christian scientists from occasionally visiting the Mother Church. (laughs) (laughs) There was no sense that they weren't welcome there. Of course, the local congregation of the Mother Church, that is their church home. Right. But I think what it did do, as you say, was to take the focus away from a sort of event and move it back towards what Christian science really teaches about communion, and that is that communion is a daily experience of communing with God, and that the sacrament for Christian scientists is not so much an event with particular elements uh, such as bread and wine, but is a kind of opportunity always to feel close to God. Now, that sounds fine. In theory, maybe, but I know that some members of Mary Baker Eddy's staff thought she was making a big mistake. Mm. Um, Calvin Fry, and at least some of the material in the Mary Baker Eddy Library, is noted to have come out after hearing that this was to be the change and said, she'll ruin her church. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, because this seemed like a big success. You Mm -hmm. were getting people together. People were coming from far and wide. Everyone looked forward to this. But I'd say Mrs. Eddy's goals for her church and what kind of church it was going to be kind of looked over a different horizon And what she felt was important was somewhat different than uh, the kind of gatherings that Tom has described. Mm -hmm. So, Tom and Mike, you've clarified that the date or the year 
for final phasing out of communion services at the Mother Church is 1908. And that's interesting timing when you think about it because that really comes on the heels of a massive expansion of seating capacity at the Mother Church with the building of what is called the extension. That's interesting to see that one follows the other. The irony of it was that this change to the communion season came two years after the extension had been built. So here's the extension dedicated in 1906, part of the reason it had been commissioned in the first place by a unanimous vote of the members present at an annual meeting was the need to accommodate visitors who came for the communion services. And you almost feel as though Mrs. Eddy is tapping the brakes in 1908 and saying what Tom quoted, that let's remember the purpose here. Let's, even this beautiful church, let's remember what it's really for. And Mm -hmm. that wasn't easy for people to understand or to accept. Uh, And, of course, it stood. It became a bylaw in the church manual, but it, it was not the easiest transition, I don't think. Well, not for Calvin Fry. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently some others. Considering Mary Baker Eddy's background in the Congregational Church and the churches that other Christian Zionists would have come out of before uh, converting to or before adopting Christian science as their faith and their spiritual path, what would communion have meant to them? And from that, you know, why was it that this particular Sunday was— the one that where everybody wanted to gather together. Mm-hmm. I think communion services have been and continue to be important events in Christian churches in different ways. And we could say that Sacrament Sunday is important for us too because it marks something special or different about a church service for Christian scientists. But Mary Baker Eddy, who grew up in the Congregational Church, would have been very accustomed to what anyone would think of as a Protestant Christian communion service with the elements of bread and wine distributed by the minister and possibly the deacons in the church to the members of the congregation. Sometimes somewhat different formats for doing that and the way that was actually carried out, but with a lot of things that people across the Protestant tradition and as well as Roman Catholics to some extent could have identified. They would have perhaps uh, recognized the uh, scriptural readings that were both read and referred to maybe in the minister's sermon, often referring to the Last Supper. For most Christians, the communion service refers to that event in Jesus' career, although Mm -hmm. what it means is understood differently. And so Mary Baker Eddy would have been very familiar with this from her congregational background. And people who became Christian Zionists, those who came from church backgrounds, would also have known a communion Sunday. Or for Protestants, they would have thought of their religious life as in some ways centered around the two sacraments recognized by Protestants, uh, baptism and communion. And for people who came into Christian science out of Roman Catholicism, they would have again, recognized communion as one of the seven sacraments from the tradition that they had previously known. And for people who came into Christian science, uh, say, from Judaism, 
uh, from any other religious background or from no religious background, because of the Christian culture around them, the idea of communion and what it involved would have been at least somewhat familiar. The way Christian scientists observed it might have at first seemed strange, but for some people at least, those who adopted Christian science, it was meaningful. It seemed to add to, apparently, rather than detract from the meaning of communion for them. Right. Well, that, that's fascinating to hear. You know, and it, it does remind me of that voice we heard at the top talking about particularly appreciating the sixth tenet, which I believe uh, goes, and we solemnly promise to watch and to pray for that mind to be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, and to be merciful, just, and pure. I think I got that right. You did. <laughs> you did. We'll check you later. These, I've been to a lot of these services. Everybody can check you at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that seems to get to the heart of it. So I think that ties the Christian science thought about communion to that broader Christian community. One thing of interest to me, Tom, is there is a hymn in Christian science hymnody that is specifically called the communion hymn. But it also has its own kind of interesting history. uh, The text of it is by uh, Mary Baker Eddy, but it wasn't always called the communion hymn. No, it wasn't always called the communion hymn. It's interesting to see that progression. Mary Baker Eddy originally wrote this hymn, which was listed as a poem, in the um, Lynn transcript in 1876, and it was titled The Hymn of Science. Mm. And it would go through a few different changes over the following years, going from the hymn of science to the hymn of Christian science to the communion hymn of Christian science, and eventually, as we know it today, is the communion hymn. And I think that while it didn't undergo a whole lot of changes with the text itself, it was showing that Mary Baker Eddy still had that idea of how she wanted to approach Christian science with her congregation from very early on before the church was even established. Seeing that early development from 1876 onwards shows the communion as something that's integral and a moment to reflect on what Christian science is. Right. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, since her intention was to found a church without creeds, that comes from the church manual by Mary Baker Eddy in the historical sketch at the front of the book. But in uh, some denominations, part of the communion service is... Uh, the recitation of one of the historic creeds of the Christian churches. In her case, that communion hymn, the hymn of science, and later the communion hymn, really addresses that in the last verse, how Christian science is going to approach that. At least it signals a different approach where she writes, Thou the Christ and not the creed, Mm. thou the truth in thought and deed. Thou, the water, the bread, and the wine. And it seems to point to her concept of what Christ is, Mm -hmm. that this is something that Christ Jesus most fully expressed of any man or woman who has ever lived and has this special role and mission, but that the Christ is something eternal that existed before Jesus, that he embodied, and that continues to exist. And this idea that 
communion in Christian science was about, and by the way, this is does not exclusive to Christian scientists. Of course, mm-hmm. one of the things people talk about after they receive communion in many faiths is they feel they go forth a better man or woman. Right. You know, they go forth with their faith renewed, wanting to serve and be better reflection of what real Christianity is when they receive the sacrament or take communion. And Christian scientists, I think, share in that. And then the emphasis is not on the elements, but by their absence of these visible elements is going to be on the thought and the deed. And she ends that verse saying, thou the water, the bread, and the wine. Well, Tom and Mike, it's been wonderful to share this conversation with you around communion in the Christian science faith and then how it kind of relates to broader Christian worship and also this very distinct history that happened around the observance of communion as it applied to the Mother Church, the headquarters of the Christian Science Church in Boston, and then how it is observed and experienced in branch churches. But it's been really meaningful to have this time with you. So thanks so much, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thanks so much, Mike. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. I I hope for people who are listening where this does spark an interest, they'll uh, take some time to go on our website and read the article uh, on communion services that Tom recently wrote and that we posted. Yes, it is a terrific piece, and it reflects a value that is so important to us at Seekers and Scholars, and that is the spirit of inquiry that goes into researching subject matter for the articles that we feature on the library's website. So thank you so much, listeners, for your spirit of inquiry. And we look forward to sharing more episodes with you in the coming months. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast was produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2022.